and so I brought my socks for that. You're welcome. Um, well, I'm excited to speak today. Uh, CJ asked me to speak last week, and I was like, all right, cool. What do, we, what, what do I have to talk on? And he's like, whatever you want. And I was like, oh, great. And it was like one of those awkward weeks where you've been to church three times, and what more can you talk about in the in the scheme of things with Christ's birth and, and all this good stuff that's going on. So for the third time, we get an informative message about what I do here and the importance of investing in the generations and how God calls us to specifically invest in the generations to come, uh, in the generations present, and in the generations in the future. So our kids, kids, and their kids, and their kids, and investing in them so that they can carry on this gospel and presenting you with these facts and truths about the statistics, which I'm very hesitant to to go to statistics, Um, but there's a a very smart man named Dr. Tom Rainer uh, who did a study on Christians um, today in the the American culture and and what it looks like, the disciple-making percentages that we have today. Um, And just quickly, I want to go through these, and it's just, it starts off really good, and, and it looks... It looks good. But then as we go down into kind of like my area of my life, my passion, my, my passion for life in investing in young people um, and, and being a person, a young person who was invested in and seeing the return on that investment, um, how it can radically change the, the kingdom of God and where we currently live today. Um, and so he, he goes on and talks about how 65% of people who are 65 and older have professed their faith and trust in Christ. So 65% of Americans today um, have professed their faith in Christ of people who are 65 and older, which is good. I mean, for 35% of the people, I mean, it could be way better, right? But for 65%, that looks good. But then we get to the 46 um, to 64-year-olds, and they're at 35% of being reached, professing their faith in Christ, and then you get to the 34 to 45-year-olds. Um, there's 15% of the 35 to four, or 34 to 45-year-olds. 15% have professed their faith and, and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then you get to 16 and 33-year-olds. 4%. 4 4%. 96% of people from the ages of 16 to 33-year-olds do not trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then to make it even worse, because I mean that is just absolutely staggering, mind-boggling to me, and maybe to you too, but 70% of high school students who attend church, and I look around and I see students, 70% of you who attend church leave the church within four years of graduating high school. It's already at 4% with just 16 to 18-year-olds, and I can't imagine what that percentage looks like with just that specific. But 70% of that very small percentage, they leave. They leave the church. They abandon it. And why is that? Is it because there's a lack of really passionate, charismatic youth pastors out there that aren't reaching enough kids? Because, I mean, that seems to be one of the, one of the methods into solving this problem. But I, I sit here and I, and, I, and I speak this message to you as I see grandparents, as I see parents, I see youth leaders, I see parents who are involved in ministry, people here who are involved in ministry, impacting people's lives. 
to bring these truths out of what is the answer and what is not the answer. And it's kind of a, this day is kind of a, a rabbit trail off of where we're, where we're going, but I believe it, it makes a full connection with, with where we're headed as a church. Because investing in the youth, don't get it confused with, oh, you should come help out a youth group. Because that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm not trying to recruit you. But I am here to talk about the realities of being a Christian. And I want to dive through this, some text, this God's holy word today um, in Psalm 78 and Deuteronomy 6 with what God calls us, who God calls us to be and, and why he calls us to preach this gospel, to give this gospel, to teach this gospel to the next generation and the generations to come. Because the reality is where we sit today we're practically missing a generation with 4% of 16 to 33-year-olds not knowing Christ or not believing in Christ. So what's, what's the answer? And I want to I wanna go into Psalm 78, and, and, and if you have your Bibles, I, I, which I hope you do, um, I hope you op- can, can open up with me to Psalm 78. And this is a long psalm. Uh, we're going to go through most of it, um, so please bear with me. Um, I think there's Bibles in the pews if you don't have one. Um, but bear with me and, and, and go through this story and, and try to track along with this story and the importance of what God is calling us to do. So it says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to to their children so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with a bow, turned their back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works, and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan, he divided the sea and let them pass through it, and he made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock, and he caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart, by demanding that they, the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob, and his anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God. They did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above, and he opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them them the grain of heaven. 
man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow into the heavens. And by his power, he led them out of the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings. And they ate, and they were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them. And he killed them, or he killed the strongest of them, and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattened him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all this his wrath. He remembered what they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He returned their rivers to blood so they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies and devoured them with frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops the destroying locusts and the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to hail and the flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare from them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led his people out like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which was right hand had won. He drove out nations before them, He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel for their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep His testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked Him to anger with their high places. They moved Him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, He was full of wrath. He was utterly rejected Israel, and and He utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling in Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men and their young women and had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword and their, their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. When he put his adversaries to rout, He put them to everlasting shame. I'm just going to stop right there. This is a story 
of truth. This is a story of who God is. This is a story of, of God's character. This is a story of how God, how God responds to his people. This is how God shows his love for us and shows his forgiveness and shows his grace, and yet we still sin against him. And yet we still don't tell the generations. We don't, we don't tell our children about him because they forget his stories. They don't remember who God is. And they continue to live in sin and they continue to live in the darkness. And today I sit before you and I look at, this, I look at these statistics and I see that there are 96% of 16 to 33-year-olds in darkness. There's 85% of 35 to 45-year-olds that are in darkness, believing lies. Now we're getting pretty sketchy with my math here. I'm trying to subtract 100 from 35. 65. 65% of people who don't know Christ are 46 to 64. And 20, 35% of people who are 65 and older don't know Christ. In darkness. Why? We've forgotten. And for the, depra- the depravity of the youth, of people who are young, not knowing the, gener- not knowing the gospel because of a few things. So, what is not the answer? Well, I already mentioned that new methods are not the answer. Programming. We have a youth pastor now. All of our kids are going to be reached. One of the biggest struggles I have as a youth pastor is when parents drop their kids off at the door and they're like, fix them. Take them. I don't want to deal with it. I get two hours of free babysitting. You know, it just drives me nuts. It's like, really? Oh, and then it's... It's even more challenging when they do say, like, fix them and go. And then I can do everything in my finite ability to preach the gospel and my own strength to, to help bring this student to salvation. But even my own efforts will not be good enough. By the power of God's spirit in and through me to reach that kid just so that they can say, I believe in Jesus. That's the best I can do. But then what happens when they go home? And this is where I want to charge you all as grandparents, parents, future parents, even if you're a high schooler or a college student, like we're talking about our lives together and preaching and sharing this gospel that we're reading in Psalms because look at what happens when we don't. God's wrath burns hot against those who do not follow for those who sin against him and turn their backs away from God. And the last thing that we can't do is we can't bring people in with cool personalities because what's that going to do? You're going you're gonna to get a quick draw. You're going to be focused around, oh, let's have a pizza party. Let's do things that make the kids happy. But yet, we miss, the, we miss the whole point. We miss the boat. So what is the answer? And if you have a pen, this is something good to write down um, on your note sheet. Um, but the number one thing that we have to do is in our families and in our lives, the word has to be foundational. We must be fundamentally in the Word teaching this to our children. This is what God is calling us to do. If we flip, if you guys will flip with me to Deuteronomy 6, I'm um, just going to read a quick, a quick message here of what we're talking about. With this Word must be foundational. Going into the Word, Deuteronomy 6 says this, Now this is the commandment, statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking here that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son. This is where we're getting into generations again, okay? And so that you, your son, 
and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land of flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these are the words that I command you today that shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall, bi- you shall bind them as a sign on your hand that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Always centering life, our family life, around one person, one being, God, our Father. Do this so that we do not forget. Because when we forget, as a church, we fail. There's a a term, we went through, as a staff here, we went through this book uh, in this this, teaching series. um, And it's just been amazing. It's called Vertical Church by James McDonald. And he brought huge light into our eyes when he taught us about the term Ichabod. If you want to read more about Ichabod, you can write this down. First Samuel talks about it. Um, but basically, the term Ichabod was used when a church um, absolutely lacked uh, bringing God glory. Um, and so Ichabod basically means an epic failure. So when a church failed to bring God glory, they'd go around and they would write Ichabod above the doorposts. And I don't know if Siege has ever preached on this before, but basically it means this church is a dud. It's failure, epic failure. And James McDonald, he goes on, he says this, if you contribute to horizontal methods of ministry in a human-pleasing way, glory-stealing atmosphere, so if you contribute to a horizontal methods of ministry in a human-pleasing, glory-stealing atmosphere in your community of worship, God will depart from you. And he will withdraw his glory. We then miss the boat on bringing God glory with what we do. And I think it's imperative that we talk about this today um, in the sense that we're talking about the word having to be foundational in what, everything that we do. And the word is all about bringing God glory. And when we fail to do that, we fail all together as a church. And when we fail to do that in our student ministry, we don't center our student ministry around God's Spirit leading us, and we, and we move away from the horizontal aspect of approaching student ministry with, hey, let's pizza party, hey, let's do this, hey, let's do this, hey, let's do this. Not going to work. There's, just, there's a still a huge void we're missing. So the first thing is the word must be foundational. The second thing is our families have to be strong. And along with our families being strong, the third thing is our church has to be accountable and helping build up our families. And I believe that where God is taking us on our journey together, as, our, as we're here on earth together, I believe that we are on these tracks, and we're moving in this direction. Um, and which is why I'm so, I believe that God does divinely put this day to speak on this together, so we can continue to go on these tracks. Um, but the church has to be accountable. So the family being strong, it, it starts with the parents. It starts with you as parents. It starts with 
me as a future parent. It starts with the high schoolers as a, as a future parent thinking about this now to where you can say, okay, I have to be plugged into a church. I need to grow in Christ. I need to become strengthened as a father, a future father, or as a future mother, and or as a mother now, or as a father now, or as a grandparent now. I need to be strengthened. I need to be involved in my church. I need to be volunteering in my church. I need to be giving back and building up the kingdom. How do we do that together? And that's where the church comes in, side by side, moving together. So how do we do this together? Well, first of all, in verse 4, we can read, in, if we go back to Psalm 78, um, verse 4, we talk about not hiding things from our children uh, so that the generations can know of the glories of God. Um, and that's by teaching them the word, teaching them who God is and teaching them God. Do you know God? And if you don't know God, how can we, as your parents, help lead you to know God? And we'll get to that. So we teach them what God has done by telling stories. We teach them what God has said by reading them words. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord has said. This is why the Lord said this. This is why the Lord acted this way towards these people. We teach them and warn them about sinfulness and what sinfulness can do to us. How... how understanding our depravity in this world because of sin and how we how we can become enriched and brought into the fullness and into the light through Jesus Christ. And as parents, as grandparents, we get to tell these stories to our kids. Because if they just come to youth group or they come to me and they sit there and listen to me tell stories, that's great. But if they go home and talk to mom or dad who may not know Christ, which is most of the students that I met that I God has called me to disciple, like they don't their parents don't know Christ. And so it's teaching them how to be a light to their parents. But that's okay. But as parents who come to church and who are hungering for the word, just because I'm a pastor, you can look at me and say, oh, well, you're a pastor. You got it all figured out. You already know. You preach all the time. You can study the word. No, you can too. Like you can read and teach the word to your children. And that is going to have a lasting effect. Because if you look at how the way we influence people and we, the way that we influence our, our kids. You as parents or future parents, and if you're a student or you're in middle school or whatever, know this, your parents are going to have more influence over you, whether it's good or bad, than you, than you want. But here's the thing. It's for those parents who drop their kids off at the door and say, fix them. Here's why it's not going to work. For my one slide, if you can read this, it says influence. And it's kind of like a math thing where it's greater than, right? There we go. That's why I'm with a math teacher. Very limited in my knowledge. Um, but parents, you have a greater than influence over your kids than I do. And here's where the church and families connect. If you don't understand your kid or you're having a hard time breaking through with your kid, please come talk to me. I'm the bridge. I'm here to bridge that gap, but I can't fix your kid. I can be a positive influence in their life, but it's what's happening in your heart as a grandparent, what's happening in your heart as a parent, that your kid is going to see a change. And it's either a change for Christ or it's a change for evil. And that fruit that you have is poured out onto your kid. I can't tell you how much sin and how much brokenness is affecting me because of parents or how kids are raised. Because I can see a middle school student who's in sixth grade act a certain way and do a certain thing where it's like, whoa, where did you learn that? Or how did you know to say that to me? Or what made you say that? I can immediately say, man, his home life's messed up. 
man, her home life is just awful. But, don't be discouraged. And don't hear me say, it's your fault your kid's messed up. Well, okay, maybe it is, but... Um, the truth is, is you can't, as parents, see this as a fix to say, go do this, when really it's a reflection on us. And I think here at this church, we've been talking a lot about what goes in us. Now we're not talking about student ministry, but we're talking about us individually. What goes in us comes out, shapes the world around us, right? Now what you put in yourself is eventually going to come out onto your kids. And it's going to shape the environment you have at home. And I get to see that through your kids, just by what they do and say. And so, here's the here's a big point I want to make. Is we cannot be casual with how we teach and view our kids' spiritual lives. We can no longer be casual. Because casual Christianity gives us these tiny numbers of people being reached, of students being reached. I'm very positive Jesus says, go out and make disciples of all nations. And part of the things that we're going up into is we're going to talk about you know, experiencing God's presence, living in His presence, being aware of His presence, and living on our identities in Christ. In order to be aware of His presence, a lot of it has to do with, are you making disciples? Francis Chan says it in one of the books that Margaret and I read. Um, it's like his new marriage book. But he talks about how if you're having a hard time experiencing God and his presence, it's probably because you're not making disciples. Because if you're not making disciples, let me tell you what, God is with you. God is moving you. God is changing you. God is blessing you. That's what he's called us to do. And here's the thing. If you're not good at it, Start with your kids. <laughs> Start with them. They're not, not going to know any different. If you screw up, you screw up. Like, God will bless you. I, I guarantee it. He will give you everything you need. No matter how much you think you can't teach or read or study the Bible, God will bless you in your efforts to share the gospel with your kids. And so, here I just want to give you four quick practical applications um, before I get sick on stage. But four practical applications. I got this, like, flu thing. My little brother had it. I haven't, I, I dodged it. You know, I'm in, the, I'm in the school system, and there's this nasty bug that, like, and you, I'm sure all of you know about it. But I missed it. And then I go home with my little brother for Christmas, and I just love my little brother. He is, like, out cold, okay, and, like, sleeping for hours. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, and I'm trying to ask him to be my best man at my wedding. And I got this, like, card. And I got him this stuff. And, like, I'm ready to give it to him. And he's just out cold. I go to give it to him. And he's just like, uh, uh, okay. And I'm like, no excitement. Like, this is terrible. So I'm trying to take care of him. He's, his glands are all swollen. His lymph nodes are all swollen. So I'm trying to, like, be a good brother. I'm trying to help him out, massage him out. Diligent in washing my hands. I'm like, oh, this is a good thing. God's not going to let me get sick because I'm helping my little brother. Wrong feel terrible <laughs> but pray for healing god is good anyways tangent over um so four practical applications to disciple making in our homes um and this is going to be very basic and i don't want to insult your intelligence but this is this is 
really good stuff, and it's stuff to think about and stuff to really do. So read the Word together. Read the Word with your kids. Make it a point to read the Bible. The, reading the Bible shouldn't be foreign to your kids. I went, I grew up in the church, and then going into college, I was one of those, I was that statistic where I, I moved away from the faith, and when it came back to read my Bible, it was weird. didn't know how. I couldn't navigate through the Bible. Still, sometimes I'm like, where am I at? But anyways, that's another thing. But reading the Bible was weird because I didn't do it with my family. Like, we didn't talk about God at home. My mom was the mom, bless her soul. She took us to church. And I'm thankful for that. Because when a disciple found me, I knew right away what he was talking about. Oh, yeah, I remember. And that's the key. A disciple found me. You're not experiencing God. It's because you're not making disciples. But when you're making disciples, you're with God. And you will find those who can know Him and will know Him. Second thing is study the Word together. Study the Word together. Examine the Word. Write this down. Reap. R-E-A-P. Read, examine, apply, pray. That's how you study the Bible. It's easy. Read, examine, ask questions. Like, okay, I read this. Now, why did God do that? Why did God say that? Why did God react in such a very bad way to these people? And then, the message from that, apply it to your life. And then pray that God does that through your life. Reap. So, and this is also an opportunity for you as parents to be transparent with your kids. You can open up your heart to them and even ask them to pray for you. Ask your kid. There's something new. I was like studying for this and like reading and listening to some sermons and like, ask your kids to pray for you. How amazing would that be if you come home from work and your kids say, hey, dad, I, I prayed for you today. Your day will change. Your family's atmosphere will change. Your heart will change. I promise you, God's spirit will change you through that. Then, third thing, memorize the word together. Write a verse down for the week. Memorize and still it. Write it on your hearts so that you know who this God is, so that you can live out who this God is calling you to be. Memorize the word together. Even make it a competition if you have to. I mean, most of us in here, I know some of you are athletes or have been athletes or have been competitive in something. Make it a competition. I mean, it, might, it always helps to make it something like memorizing, something as simple as memorizing the word together into a competition. And then pray together. Pray together. And then you can even acronym the word pray out to P is in pray. And then R, repent. A, ask. Ask God for forgiveness through repentance. And then yield to God. Step out of the way. Let Him correct you. Let Him rebuke you. It will be good. And then the fourth and my favorite one, last one, and we'll call the worship team up. Because everything's falling apart up here. But the fourth thing is family worship. This is an amazing time for you and your family. And a memorable time. Like, sing really good theological songs together. Sing really good hymns. Or, and I would highly suggest this if you have younger kids, sing a goofy song with hand motions, okay? And make this time incredibly fun. Exactly. Hand motions. 
fight, and which is going to turn into wrestling by the end of it, which will be great, because it will be a moment that you will remember. And you have to make this time of family worship fun. I know Josh can really do this really well with his kids. He can make everything fun and, and goofy. But, I mean, I spent, like, months at their house watching them love their kids and, and just worship and have fun and reading, even doing Bible studies there and just making those moments together with your family and worship of God an amazing, memorable time. Why not? So, and husbands, your call to shepherd the hearts of your wives. So in this time of family worship, be the initiator. Be the one to say, let's have family worship today. Whether it's, let's go on a car ride and let's sing together. Because if you have high school students, that's what you're going to want to do. Because they're not going to want to do hand motions. They're probably going to resent you for that. So, that's just a suggestion. But I wouldn't do it. So, God has given you, husbands, the responsibility as, as the husband to shepherd your wife's heart. And you're probably like, oh, you don't even know. You don't even know yet. Because I know I'm not married yet. But... What I do know is what God has called me to and what he's called you to as well. And it's to shepherd your wife's heart. And in that, you bring glory to God in everything you're doing. And for me, just remember this. The influence you have on your kids is going to make my job as a student pastor a lot more efficient and effective in reaching your student and instilling them the theological knowledge of God knowing the Spirit of God, embracing an atmosphere that ushers in God's Spirit, then it will be beneficial for all of us. And so, as I close, I just want to just pray really quick um, for all of us in this room. Because I know that God's Scripture is very clear that we all fall short of His glory. And we all fall short of who He creates us to be, or who He has created us to be. Um, but it's not to discourage you when I say that. It's to encourage and say, you know, His grace is sufficient. We just need to trust in Him. And when we trust in Him, this text comes alive to share with the generations. We get to share this good news with our kids, with our grandkids. And we get to pray for their kids and their kids and their grandkids for all generations to know God. Because then we can become effective in living out the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations. So let's start with our kids. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and what you continue to reveal to me and to our church about who we are called in Christ. Father, as we continue to grow as a, as a church who lives for your glory, to give you glory, to praise you and worship praise you in, in who we are in our daily lives. God, I pray that we are like, we are the heat-seeking missiles that go out and make disciples for those who don't know you. God, I pray, and I pray that our lives are not in vain, that we teach the gospel to our kids so that when they come home from school, you can talk about, they can talk about God to their parents. God, I pray our parents in this room lead as you've called them to lead as parents. You've anointed them in their position as parents to lead, lead their kids to know you, to write it on their doorposts, to write your name on their hearts. And family worship, family memorization of your word, 
God, you are so worthy of that. God, I pray you bless our families here. I pray that you encourage them. Extend your grace, God. Your mercy.